the reboot, the revamp, the unrehearsed re-education of Recycled Thought. It's our second week back, and I am your benevolent host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, formerly of the band Even Steven, and I'm also going to be queuing in here in just a moment my new co-host, but my old friend, Odell Norman, formerly of Onus and the Fallen One, and we want to formally welcome you to the show tonight. All righty, and somewhere in the background, I think Dee is lurking back there, our producer, uh, yeah, who and keeps the show. You, it's, not, it's not really fair, because you guys have all been in a band, and I haven't. You know why? Well, no, I, I guess for a little while, it was part of Countryside, but that was just because I was really desperate to have somebody to sing with. And you've got a hell set of um, pipes on you, too, so it's not Thank like you're you. selling yourself short. You're an excellent no. singer. It's just really hard, down here anyway, it's really hard to find, everywhere I've been, it's really hard to find a good band that's willing to have a female lead some places. You know, it's it's just, and here's one you of those places. Got to build your own project from the ground up. That's what I've always done. Anyway, yeah. I'll give you props because you keep all of our shows, and, and we have three podcasts, and now we have four. We've brought Musical Osmosis back from the dead. And you keep the show from going off the rails. You saved my ass last week when I forgot the mic was on. <laughs> so don't That's discount yourself. So Odell, are you with us? Yes, 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 yes. What's up, man? Nothing, man. Um, let me tell you, I even though the other night I, I got a really bad haircut, I'm in a really kick-ass mood. When you get a bad you haircut. Still get haircut. Yeah, yeah, true that. But um, Sunday, we had my favorite TV show of all time is Soap. Loved that show growing up. I connected with it because I came from a very fucked up, dysfunctional family, but there was still a lot of love there. That was kind of a mock soap opera for anybody who's not familiar with it and not 100 years old like us. Um, Excellent show. It launched the career of Billy Crystal. Richard Mulligan was on it, Catherine Hellman. I got a chance to talk with comedian and ventriloquist. Ventri- I sound like Daffy Duck when I say that. Ventriloquist. Um, I know, right? Johnson from Soap. I spent an hour with him. It was an absolute delight. And then tonight, I get to speak with 
my all-time favorite lyricist. We get to speak with, I should say, but it's a big deal to me because he had such an impact on my writing style and politics, political awareness, I should say. Al Piss, you know, of course, he's from yeah. the Piss, one of my favorite bands, East Coast Panic, God's Left Hand. He's currently in M13 and the Deacons. Odell, were you a huge Piss fan back in the day when we used to all party together? Well, you brought you got me into him, and then Ben Ben Story got me into him. Um, but it's funny because uh, you know the days of the cassette tapes, um, a lot of stuff that I dubbed didn't have names to it. And then when I went back and like listened to a lot of the music, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have that, or I had that on a compilation, or I had this. So um, it's really cool because um, if you, especially you know, a lot of the stuff that the Pits wrote. It, it, it's very relevant today, which is I'm really glad that we have Al on to talk about a lot of stuff because a lot of things that were written back in those days is still super relevant now. So yeah, really maybe even more relevant today since it's on a lot more yeah. people's radar. Where back then, if you yeah. kind of talked about it, people were like, go back to Russia, you commie. But now yeah, exactly. there's more awareness where you can actually speak about it. All right, um, here's the deal, guys. I'm going to go through real fast what we got coming up on the show. It was a situation on Sunday where it took us. We were the show is blown up to the point where we're booked solid to the end of the year, and we've got so many guests coming on. It took D like twenty minutes to go through like who's going to be on what show, what date. Yeah, Check out our show yeah. pages. Let me just rattle it off real quick. Musical Osmosis we've got coming up this month. Larry from Pegboy. Next month, Murio from the Orwells. We're doing a special. We might even do ninety minutes, if not the standard sixty minutes show about Wilmer's Park. If you guys, yeah. a lot of you don't know Wilmer's Park, it was the place to be, outdoor venue. I've actually put together a few festivals out there when I was doing Little Guy Productions. Lots of great bands came through there. It's kind of a underground legend. So some of Where you may have heard it. Um, yeah. It's in Brandywine, Maryland, and I think it, I think yeah. it's been heard of nationwide, even though it was in a local kind of podunk type town. But um, we're going to be talking about that. My buddy Jason from, well, back in those days, Dying Fetus, but he's in now in Misery Index, will be calling in. JR from Next Step Hi. Up will be calling in stories. My buddy Jimmy Swader actually suggested this. I want to give a shout-out to him because he was like, dude, you've got to do a show about the history of Wilmer's Park. And there is a history there, right, Odell? There's a serious history. I mean, not even just what Nick is rattling off, but – I mean, acts like James Brown has played there. I mean, like the whole. I mean, like some mega stars have played. have hit Wilmer's Park sometimes. The birth in their of career. Go-Go out of that yep. area. Yeah. So yep. not just James Brown, but Chuck Brown too. Chuck Brown. Uh, Junkyard Pleasure, all there. those bands. Yeah. Yep. Rare Essence, all that stuff came from out of that area, and Wilmer's Park was a spot to be, dude. And dealing with those guys, it was kind of shady when I used to throw shows there. But still, it was a great place to put on a show. It was. Um, it was. Kettle of Fish, who do we got coming on there? Cyrus McQueen, who's a comedian. Um, uh, who else, D? Who am I forgetting? Graham uh, Elwood from Comedy Film Nerds we is coming up. Comedian Trenton Whitley. Oh, of course, next November 1st, we have from this season of America's Got Talent, one of the finalists. Comedian Gary Veter, super funny guy. And then we've got Alex White of White Mystery, which will be oh, yeah. just a couple weeks after we go see them in concert. 
And this Sunday cool. we've got, or not this Sunday, but next Sunday we've got Professor Ronald Mallett. Ronald and we're going to talk, yes. talk about time travel because yes. this is the month Michael J. Fox went back to the future. And we were yes. promised flying cars, and instead we got shitty Matthew McConaughey commercials. Exactly. So bravo, America. Bravo, um, America. Friday night drinking trivia really quick. Uh, next Friday, we have John Bass with Time Travel Trivia. He is formerly of Big Time Hollywood, Florida uh, on Comedy Central, and he is um, having a movie come out next month, also starring Eliza Dushku, uh, Jane Jane looks for a husband, or I, I can't remember the name, but he'll tell us all about it. I'm sure um, we're going to have Graham Elwood on from Comedy Film Nerds and from the documentary Earbuds, and we're also going to have... Um, Brian Marshak right. from Rooftop Revolutionaries and comedian Cyrus McQueen all on Friday Night Drunken Trivia. Oh, is he on trivia? Sorry, yeah, a couple of those guys are on trivia. Yeah. Plus, um, we're doing a special Democratic debate wrap-up show on Saturday. Author Mike Bushman will be on there. Shameless plug if you go check out his book, uh, Doing Unto Others. I actually wrote the foreword for that. So pick it up if for no other reason to read my like four or five-page foreword. And then we're having Eleanor Goldfield from Rooftop Revolutionaries and Act Out on Ignorance Equation coming up, too. And I'm sure we're probably forgetting somebody somewhere along the yeah, line. But check our pages. Check our Twitter. We got tons of platforms out there. All righty. Tonight, we've got out pissed on, as I like to usually do when we have a guest on that I particularly feel excited about. And I don't want people to think I just kind of book people by pulling names out of hats. Everybody I book on the music show and on... The Kettle of Fish show, all these people I feel like I have a personal connection with as far as how they've impacted me. So I like to set it up, give a little story, set the Wayback Machine, tell people why it was important for me. One of the reasons I actually brought back musical osmosis was I finally was able to reach out to Al and kind of put this show together. So, what was it, 94, 95? Um, Pat Sheehan, who is my musical guru, does anybody know more about music, especially punk music, than Pat Sheehan, Odell? No. Pat, and if you don't know, he will he will give you, you know, the full, you know, back in those days, the encyclopedia of of, uh, of all the bands. So, um, yeah. if you, did, if you wanted point. it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the crying game with Pat. He will tie you to a fucking chair and indoctrinate yeah. you like Clockwork Orange yeah. with his musical yeah. onslaught of knowledge. But anyways, he's taking me up to work. I was a pasta boy at Olive Garden in the mid-90s. And he's, and like you said earlier, this is in the day of the cassette tape. He, um, he mm-hmm. only had a cassette player, so he took all his CDs That's and it. put them on cassette. And here's why I remember... The first time I heard The Piss, because usually when I hear a new band, now if it's a band I'm already into, I can dig it as soon as I listen to something new by them. But if it's somebody I've never heard before, it usually takes three or four listens for it to really connect with me. I don't know if you're the same way, It's a natural thing. Yeah, it's a natural thing. There's a, a handful of bands that I, you know, first time I heard them, I was like, holy cow, okay, yeah, this is this is something, you know, I need to get a hold of. Yeah, and that's... That's how I felt with the piss. Like it was really yeah. a situation where I heard them that first, and I even remember the first song I ever heard was um, "Customer Is Always Right." And I was heading off to my shitty job, and I was like, "Holy shit, who are these guys?" And Pat was like, "They're the piss. They formed in this year, and Al Piss does this, and his father's uncle was a baker, and uh, like, and gave me the whole fucking history of anything that ever had to do with the piss because he knows all that shit." 
And um, hey. I went out to Smash. If you remember Smash down in D.C., I'm uh, sure you are. Oh, yes. Yeah, bought the CD. Yes, we made a pilgrimage every couple of weeks down to Georgetown, went to Smash, to got got the CD, um, got Ideas Are Bulletproof, and, you know, I had my shitty little apartment in La Plata, dimly lit. Mm-hmm. Um, the sleeve is as such, where you open it, it's not multiple pages opening, it's two pages, and there's pages, lyrics yeah. for like 15 songs on it. So the the writing is really small. And to this day, dude, I think I got my fucking stigmatism from reading those lyrics. Like sitting in my dimly lit apartment, just playing that CD over and over again and squinting and looking at those lyrics for hours on end and replaying that album, trying to get it down verbatim. But that album had a huge impact on, you know, it just kind of grabbed me, violently shook me, woke me up. And was like, dude, there's more going on. This isn't just about like drinking beer and getting fucked up and having a good time. There's a whole big exactly. giant world out there going on, and like you need to become aware of it. And it's a huge reason why, like, I went and got my political science degree years later. When I wrote for even Stephen, you know the kind of stuff I wrote, like office politics and mall security and downtown bus. Like that's straight out of the Alpist playbook. Not that I was ripping yep. them off, but it was definitely like inspired by Al and he has such a direct brutally honest way like I call him cash and carry lyrics like he's a cash and carry type of lyricist you listen you don't have to do like all these metaphors and stuff it's just straightforward no. brutally honest music and it resonated with me man and I was like wow this is well, what it's about yep. yeah go ahead now I, now I just remember I remember uh, I did the bulletproof and I remember um Dead in its tracks, and that was the one song that grabbed me because uh, just being an African-American kid, you know, doing what I was doing and a lot of stuff that was going on and it happened to me, I'm like, man, these guys get it. And if it wasn't for that and bands like Los Crudos and um, Inside Out, those bands that were, like you said, were very politically charged and very, like, straight on, and, like, I could relate to that because of just where I was coming from and, and, and you know, the, the treatment you would get when you go to certain areas and the prejudging and stuff like that. And I was like, man, they're, 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 they're saying what I'm thinking, and these are white guys. That's what really got me. It was like, holy shit, yeah. this is like this is like crazy. And, and, and I'm like sitting there nodding my head over and over to those songs, and it's like, like I said earlier, you know, that's why, you know, this stuff is so relevant now just as much as it was, you know, in 94 and 95. Absolutely. And that's the stuff that really encodes your DNA And and as being a child and a young adult. And I was in my early 20s when I first got turned on to the piss, maybe mid-20s, probably Mm -hmm. mid-20s when I got turned. And that really encodes your DNA and stuff like that and reading Marvel's X-Men and reading about like the X-Men were just a metaphor for discrimination and that sort of thing. Like these are the things that caused me to become politically and socially aware. Right. Anyways, um, we should digress before Al hangs up because he thinks we're going to turn into a bunch of stalker, freaky um, fanboys or something. So let's get him on the line and not leave him hanging on any longer. Al, are you with us? Well, I'm with you. How you guys doing? Yeah. Awesome, right. man. We are so excited to have you on the show tonight. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely excited to be on here talking with you guys. Good. Right Good. on. So cool. Let me <laughs> Let me start with this. 
because you heard the intro, you heard the impact that your music, your lyrics had on me. I'm sure I'm not the only one in the world. I'm sure there's many people like me. I want to kind of go back to the beginning when you formed the piss, when you're writing these politically charged um, lyrics, when you're putting the music together, are you doing it with the intent of, hey, man, I need to raise awareness, I need to wake people the fuck up and bring people together? Or are you just frustrated and you're like, I need to get this out of my system and this is how I create? No, absolutely, the the, the second. Um, it was just, just ideas that, that I had kind of rattling around in my head for a few years prior to that. And... I had been in other bands before, but never as a, a singer or a lyricist. So um, usually someone else had always taken care of uh, the message behind the music in our in the bands. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just had, you know, things that I was feeling, you know, as a young man, uh, you know, and uh, I think I was 22 when we first started The Pest. So um, I was starting to form my own opinions about things and, and just the way I felt about society in general and everything that was going on around me and uh, just started putting them down on paper and the band sort of just came together. Um, Do you think that as somebody, especially performing in the punk genre, that you have a responsibility to kind of be socially conscious or is it okay just to go out and sing about you know, let's get drunk, let's party and do this? Or do you think because it is the punk culture, you kind of do have a responsibility to, you know, have a free exchange of ideas and kind of get people thinking? Well, I, I felt like that's what I needed to do. Um, I don't, you know, I, I like a lot of song, uh, a lot of bands and a lot of songs that don't really have a, a political message behind them. I, you know, I, I have nothing against that kind of music. Um and I think it definitely has its place in the scene and in society as a whole. But, um, you know, I felt that that wasn't what my message was and what I wanted to get across. Um, there was a lot of bands in Connecticut at the time, which is where, where we were based out of, right. um, that were more like pop punk bands and mm-hmm. uh, kind of had that East Bay sound uh, that was big back in the early 90s. And you know we we just we we liked that type of music. It just wasn't you know we were more we were listening to more of like the Subhumans and the Dead Kennedys and bands like that. So um, we kind of just we made the band that we wanted to go see. That's pretty much where how the Pist formed. Um, you know there was a lot of bands that were coming through on tour, bands like MDC. And, yeah. you know, they had all the pop-punk bands opening for them because there weren't any political <laughs> punk bands <laughs> at the time in the area. I mean, there was a, there was a couple, but, um, you know, you couldn't put the same band on every show. So uh, that's kind of where, where we were at. We're like, you know, let's, let's make the band that we want to go see play with these bands. And, you know, we made that band, and we ended up getting all, the, all those shows as, <laughs> as they came through. Yeah. So, so I know, you know, I thought um, – yeah, go ahead. Oh no! Uh, I know you were talking about you know you guys are from Connecticut, and I was like going through a lot of the, uh, the a lot of your, your your catalog and and actually a lot of the um, the show pages and things, and it seems like that community feel is still there. Um, I, I know you're 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 like us. You're sort of the elder statesman, if you will. How does that make you feel when you see a lot of the younger bands that have actually looked up to you, and you still go out and see them feel when when they see you know someone like you there at their shows. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's great. Cause, uh, you know, at, 
when we were coming up, that's what we were doing with the with the bands that had been around before us. You know, there was there was a whole scene in Connecticut that, you know, when we were teenagers, we would go see all these bands, um, local bands, CIA, seventy six percent uncertain, Lost Generation, you know, all these old old school Connecticut hardcore and punk bands mm-hmm. that you know we would go see, and um, they kind of paved the way for us, and we were the next wave coming through. So now it's all these younger bands are coming through, you know, having seen us and, and other bands from our era, they started their own bands and now they're, they're carrying the torch and um, yeah, and it's great. And I'm, I'm glad that the, it's, it's going and it's still going. Um, and we've definitely seen that with these last run of uh, reunion shows that we did uh, just talking to a lot of the younger bands that uh, we ended up playing with or that were coming to see us. Do you feel like the punk scene is still as socially conscious as it was back in the 80s and 90s? Because I feel like everything has kind of got homogenized to a point where nothing – I feel like it's a lot, of, a lot of its individuality, that you can't say, well, this is this type – and it's good in some ways because labels fucking suck, but it's also bad in a way where you don't have that united front, I feel like that you used to have in a punk scene where you're like, I can go do this, I can go see these guys, and I know that I'm kind of with my tribe. And I feel, I feel like it's a little bit of that been, has been lost. Do you feel the same way with the youth of today? Um, I, You know, I, I think that around here there is sort of a, a unity, um, at least and Connecticut's kind of been, since it's such a small state, it's maybe an anomaly. Um, we definitely do have a unity scene here i it's you know they there are the the outliers and stuff but it's there's definitely like a core political punk scene in connecticut with about maybe a dozen bands that all play together everybody hangs out together i mean at this point you know being almost 46 years old i'm <laughs> i'm not hanging out with these bands on weekends and stuff you know i'm <laughs> right <laughs> i'm doing other things you know I, well i mean yeah, playing, really playing with my own bands but <laughs> But yeah, so I, I think that there's a there's a still that scene here, at least here. Um, so looking back I, at the past lyrics, I mean, do you feel like you've changed a lot as far as your political views and and just your worldview? Are you still kind of got that piss and vinegar that I mean, it seems to me like shit's just as corrupt, if not more corrupt than ever. Do you still carry that with you, or with age have you kind of softened up on all that? Uh, no, I, I definitely think I still feel a lot of the the anger at things that are that are happening around us. Um, as a matter of fact, and you know some of the songs that we played on this, you know we did we did some uh, we did six reunion shows this summer, and wow. just just around the Northeast, and uh, oh, we got all the way down to Richmond was our, our, our furthest south that we got, but. Um, you know, a few of the songs that I sort of prefaced with, you know, I, I wish that, you know, this song was not still relevant, but it is, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, there's there's a lot of songs like that that, um, you know, issues that, that were going on 20 years ago are still going on. Now, um, I think the only thing in me that's really changed is that um, I maybe see more sides to the story uh, with okay. certain things. Um, but I still have the same feelings that I did. I still stand behind, you know, just about everything I wrote down 20 years ago. 
Are you pretty well received when you guys do your reunion tours? Do the does the younger generation get it, or are they just like, well, here's a fast hard band, and I'm just going to bob my head? Or do they know the lyrics? Are they singing it back to you? Do they understand the cultural significance of it, or are they just kind of there to blow off steam? Um, I think it's half and half. Uh, there's definitely a core of people that that come to see us that. Um, We've we've done reunion shows. We did some five years ago, and we did some a few years before that. And, you know, you see those same people there. Um, you see younger people who are into it, and they're up there singing along and stage diving and, uh, you know, just uh, talking to us after the show, you know, about, you know, same same kind of story that, that you were saying in the intro, you know, about how, you know, songs that they heard in the past, you know, helped shape them in a certain way which is really amazing to hear. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, and you know, you're going to get half the people are just there to, cause it's a punk show and there's a lot of people and it's fast music and they can run around and smash into each other and, <laughs> you know, and get yeah, drunk and yeah. whatever. <laughs> it is kind of odd though. The, the biggest thing that I've noticed is everything in politics. And I don't want to turn this into a political show. We do a political show, but in the context of music, everything in politics has gone so far right or so far left, but more so in the so far right category, that lyrics that I used to write in a punk band 20, punk band 20 years ago, people would hear them and be like, oh, I'll go back to Russia, commie. But now they, they would be like, oh, you could play this at the Tea Party rally. Like, this is a, yeah, screw the government. And it's really weird how we've had that shift, and I just feel like... You have all these groups speaking out against the government, but none of them are consolidated. All of them are like, no, my hate or mistrust of the government trumps your hate and mistrust of the government. And it's this really sure. weird dichotomy that's developed over the last few years, right? Oh, sure. I mean, when you know, when when Bush was president, if you know, if you spoke out against you know against the president or, or the or the the office of the presidency or, or the government, then you were you know, you're labeled a traitor and everything else. And now if you speak out against the president, you're a patriot, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, the, the you, you hit it right on the head with that as far as, you know, you say, especially during the times of Bush, you know, with 9-11 and all, especially with, when that happened, you know, that sort of was like, okay, everything is, you know, pro-U.S. But, like, a lot of the same views, you know, you have a president now that, you know, you know, has a lot of similar views to, like, even for, say, a Ronald Reagan. And it's, like, it's it's so, like, they don't want to hear that. It's, like, well, actually, his views are very similar to, you know, the guy that you preach about all the time. Um, but they're, like, no, 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 it can't be. It can't be. It won't happen. It's not like that. And uh, so, but um, I know you were talking about, uh, you know, playing you know playing with a lot of the DC bands and things of that nature how how were your experiences in DC being that like Nick and I are from that area um i mean back uh back when the piss was together as a band we really we only played in DC proper i think once with uh, okay. a band called the called the suspects who are around yes yeah. the suspects yeah yep um and yeah, I mean, uh, the, as far as I remember, it was it was a it was a great show. Uh, we were back there a couple of years ago with my current band M13, mm-hmm. and you know, who's also a very politically charged band. And it seemed like the crowd at the show, uh, they were kind of taken 
back by some of the political things that our singer was saying, and you know seemed a little a little proper, um, and you know <laughs> I don't know it's, it's, it seemed like you know they kind of stick up their ass about um, you know about being too far to the left or you know just yeah. being too radical about things, and that that was kind of just the impression I got there, uh, not so much a little further down in Baltimore, but um, definitely got that impression in D.C. Well, it's amazing that, because... No, go ahead, Odell. Okay, I actually, um, yeah, I live in Baltimore now, so it's amazing because a lot of the, I guess the the bands that were in the crowd that was that was in D.C., a lot of those artists and, 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 and fans, they actually, like you said, they've actually moved to Baltimore. And um and do more more shows like that in Baltimore than they do in DC now, which it amazes me because coming from you know Nick and I lived in Southern Maryland, which is not too far away from DC, and and in that bond that DC used to have, and and I I think I could speak for Nick in saying that as the years went by, you could actually see that that uh that generation sort of just leave, and then you know. Yeah, every club we played at closed down. They're all gone. Yeah. And the clubs we used to go to, like 930 and Black Cat, they've moved and become something totally different. So there's definitely yeah. been a huge shift in that area. And Baltimore took it on. So, yeah, it's really cool as far as that So goes. what do you think is the um, biggest difference, Al, when you look at the crowd today, the crowd of late teens, early 20s coming to your shows today as opposed to 20 years ago? Is it that they're a little bit more reserved and proper or is it that they don't get, like, are they getting it? Like, what is the huge difference between those two generations? I think that what I see now a lot is that um, I see a lot of people that it seems like it's they're more there to party and stuff. And it's more of a a social thing than to, than to watch bands and to get um, a message from them. Uh, while a lot of the bands are political bands, you know, they have a lot of good messages. It seems like most of the time everybody's outside drinking in the parking lot while bands are playing. And that may be nothing new. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that that's always happened, but, um, you know, and that's, that's, that's always been a problem that, I, you know, I, I've seen that as a problem at shows um, where, you know, it's kind of like a lot of bands are background music to everybody partying. Wow. What keeps you motivated then to keep at 46? I know you've got a family, and I'm sure you've got other responsibilities, so this has got to take a lot of your time and energy. What keeps you motivated to do it if the crowd is just not the crowd that you played to 20 years ago? Um, I don't, I, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I still I just feel like it's what I do. It's just part of me. Um, I, I love to go out and play shows, whether whether it's to 10 people or, you know, 500 people. Um, I, I get something out of it myself just being on stage and, and play, whether it's singing or, or playing bass, which I do now in, in the two bands that I'm in. Um, you know, I, I prefer to sing, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. But definitely, it's it's definitely more of a more of a commitment and it, physically, and it's, it's more of a commitment um, as far as, you know, writing songs and uh, kind of being the spokesperson for the band when you're doing that. But, um, yeah, I just, I, 
I don't know what I would do if I <laughs> if I wasn't playing in bands. You know, I just it's just part of my being. Well, hey, I hey, grew I, up I grew up listening to the Pist. Um, I did a little bit of research. I actually I knew who the Deacons were, but I actually had never even heard of East Coast Panic. I started going through and kind of looking at the different projects you were involved in, and you're like a fucking maniac. You have so many bands, so much content, and I was just like, wow, Like, what is the timeline from the Piss to East Coast Panic to God's Left Hand? What is kind of like the, ti- the timeline of each band? Are they all bleeding into each other, or are you breaking from one and going to the other one? What's that look like? Um, I could tell you the kind of the genesis of everything on uh, – during the intro, I know uh, Odell was was talking about uh, uh, the old cassette mixtapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I had uh, my best friend, and when we were in, uh, gee, this is going back to 1984. Um, my best friend Rich, who um, I grew up with, had a cousin in New Jersey who was older than us, and used to send him mixtapes, and they were all hardcore punk bands from Jersey and from everywhere else. You know, was, we heard a lot of, you know, MDC, Minor Threat, Black Flag, all the, the stuff that we couldn't get when we were, you know, 12, 14 years old. Right. <laughs> Why didn't you just um, go on the internet, Al, and download it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I thought of that, man, it would have been so much easier. Um, and him and I just started, you know, I had gotten a guitar and we started just making noise. Like I had no idea how to play a guitar. And we we started writing a couple songs together just as a um, uh, a band called Malicious Intent at the time. And uh, we didn't really play or really record anything, but that was kind of the, the how the ball got rolling. And a few years later, we actually started a proper band um, called Process of Elimination. And... Wow. That was uh, Rich singing and me playing bass. And um, this guy, Greg, who was playing drums, who years later ended up being in the uh, Seattle Straight Edge Band Trial. Um, Whoa. Yeah. uh, He was, you know, Greg Bennett, who sings for Trial. He was our drummer. And um, from that, uh, that band kind of broke up when Greg went off to college. And I joined a, uh, like a, hardcore band like kind of like a metal sort of hardcore band called darkest exit which lasted a couple more years until i moved to arizona for a short time and while i was in arizona um our the singer guy rich who was started this whole thing with um started a band in connecticut called brutally familiar and um when things didn't work out the way i thought they would out in arizona i came back and Brutally Familiar was already established. And uh, I started the Pist with the guitars from Brutally Familiar. So it was kind of the way a lot of the bands worked in Connecticut at the time where everybody, it was very incestuous. You know, everybody was in a couple bands at the same time. And um, especially drummers were, were shared <laughs> throughout many Yeah, that sounds familiar, right, Odell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was Nick President drummer for a few, a few, a few stints. Um, yeah and so that's that's how the piss started and brutally familiar was getting ready to go on a tour so um, we kind of just got our act together and got a set together and said you know all right we'll jump on tour with you guys and we jumped in the van and um, went on a five-week tour 
uh, and plays 13 shows in five weeks. Because, um, you know, as you know, this was 93, and, you know, back before the Internet or um, cell phones or anything, you know, it was it was shows were hard to come by. Uh, things were very sketchy. You'd show up and, you know, the show that you thought was happening wasn't happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, after driving, you know, 12 or 14 hours to a show, um, things were getting canceled along the way. But, you know, we, we built the foundation on that tour of all our uh, tours to follow. Um, and from that came bands like Mankind, which I played bass in, uh, after Brutally Familiar broke up, uh, Rich, the singer, started a band called God Squad, which I played bass in, while also playing bass in another band called the Baltimore Foot Stompers. Wow. Uh, with, with Jim Martin, who uh, was in a lot of bands like uh, Broken and Malachi Crunch and uh, is currently in Chemtrails. Mm-hmm. Um, then kind of when all those bands started to fade out, um, East Coast Panic started. And that was uh, me and uh, my now wife, Jen, um, started that band with with the drummer from the Pist and uh, a couple of our friends. And that went for a few more years. And <laughs> um, once that broke up, that's when I started doing, like, solo stuff, you know, kind of picked up the acoustic guitar because I was getting set up with, you know, all the bands I was in falling apart after a couple of years. So I was like, that's it, you know, I'm, that's it. I'm going solo. Uh, I don't have to worry about relying on anyone else anymore. So uh, Yeah, I know that feeling. Let me play, <laughs> I want to play this song by East Coast Panic because I can't believe you guys were never on my radar before. And I actually found four of your songs on MySpace. One of them was the song Polluted You Sent Me. And I was like, okay. man, I've heard a couple bands that's had a kind of a – a, a guy and a girl both singing, switching off, but I've never heard it done like this. I got to tell you, man, I mean, of course, The Pissed is still my all-time favorite out of all of them, but East Coast Panic is no joke. You guys were freaking awesome. And I'm I glad I got that, something. That was my favorite band to play in, I think. Really? How, um, more yeah. than The Pissed? How come? I, I don't know. I just think that uh, the chemistry of the band and I, the songs that we were, we were singing, the collaboration between everybody in the band, where the Pist was essentially me and the guitarist writing everything. He would write all the music. I would write all the lyrics. Um, you know, our drummer and bass player were, I mean, we were great friends and everything, but uh, it wasn't as much of a collaboration with everybody. Um, okay. East Coast Panic was, was that. It, we all... We all wrote together. We all, you know, uh, it was, I don't know, it was, a, it was more fun, I think, even though the pistol was great and <laughs> fun. I just, uh, you know. Well, that energy and unity definitely shines through. Let me play this song, Polluted. I love the lyrics. Once again, it makes me feel like I just, like I was mining for piss gold and found this East Coast panic. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I've never even heard these guys before. So I'm glad I have something new to dig into. So I'm going to play some Polluted by East Coast Panic. Here it comes, guys.
All righty. I got to tell you, Al, the symmetry of that band, the back and forth, it's so fucking good. It charges me up, makes me feel like I'm 24 instead of 44. Why in the (laughs) hell did that band break up, especially since you're with the singer, you're with who is your wife now? Why did you guys break up? That's an incredible amount of energy. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, when when everybody is in their 20s, (laughs) just about everybody was in that band, you know, People aren't settled where they are, where they want to be in life yet. So, you know, as as things come up in their lives, you know, people want to move away. You know, relationships happen. Um, you know, they kind of everybody just sort of ended up getting scattered. Um, our dr- original drummer, who was the drummer for the Pest and the drummer on that recording, he moved out to L.A. Um, at that time. So we replaced him with another drummer, and um, then we. Uh, I, in that recording, I was playing bass and singing, and I decided I didn't want to do that. So we got a bass player, and then ended up that bass player had a kid, and ended up he ended up leaving the band too. So it was, um, you know, just losing too many people, too many lineup changes. We eventually just had to hang it up. But, so um, yeah, I definitely, you know, I I really did like the energy in that band, you know. And, yeah, that's incredible. Um, you know, looking through your catalog of just so many bands, so much music, when you look back at that, you look at your lineage, what you're going to be able to pass on to your kids and say, hey, look at this. Look how I made my mark in the world. Look what I tried to do. Look how I tried to make the world a better place. Do you feel like you did what young Al set out to do? Do you kind of feel like mission accomplished? Um, to a certain extent, um, you know, I think that there's definitely a legacy left. I think that there's definitely still more to do. Um, and that's kind of, you know, where I'm at right now with, with the bands that I'm in, you know, just the music is a little bit different than the stuff we've done before. Um, I'm thinking that as these two bands that I'm in now are progressing, um, you know, we're, we're growing too and, you know, hopefully leaving behind something, uh, like, like the old bands did. And, um, you know, I think uh, when this conversation started, as you were saying, you know, as a, as a young kid listening to the stuff for the first time inspired you to do something, you know, I think as long as you're leaving behind something that is inspiring somebody, then it's, it's a success. So, um, yeah, I couldn't I'm, agree more. I'm happy with it. Definitely. Hey, I, well, got, I, just, I got a question for you. Yeah, um, yeah. The bands in, uh, that you play with now are the younger bands. Who are some of the really good bands in Connecticut? right now that you, you feel that should be out there, like should be on the radar, if you will. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some, some great bands from around here. Um, one of my favorite bands is, uh, was a Connecticut based band that just moved to Philly actually. And they're, they're, uh, they're called no, um, really, really cool. Just straight up really fast. Um, punk hardcore, <laughs> kind of band a little uh they're not very uh they don't really fall into any specific punk category which i like you know i like stuff that's a little different um there's some bands around here uh cry havoc is a great band uh damn broads chemtrails yeah uh, cry, uh, i got I, i'm just finished watching a video of you guys you uh doing a little guest appearance on stage at one of their shows back in the day Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, and also uh, our drummer's band 
from Baltimore, uh, our drummer okay. from Baltimore uh, called War Games. And uh, right. we, we played in our reunion shows. We played with them, I think, four out of the six shows we played with War Games. And it was great okay. to, to uh, play with them. We played a played a great basement show in Baltimore about a month ago. And uh, that was with with War Games and a couple other bands. Uh, Sick Fix also from that from D.C. Um, mm-hmm. uh, really had a good time with those guys. So moving on to M13 and the Deacons, yeah. what is how much of a change is it playing bass, and is it kind of stifling you creatively not to be able to write and get all of that out of you creatively, or is it like, hey, I kind of said what I want to say, I'm okay with receding into kind of the background and playing bass and just soldiering on? Well, you know, the both M13 and the Deacons are fronted by my friend Rich, who is the guy whose cousin was feeding us mixtapes back in the early '80s? So, right. Uh, oh wow. You know, I'm pretty much behind anything he's he says. Um, you know, we're we're kind of partners in crime in this in this punk rock deal. Um, you know, we've been been together in bands for forever. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I have no problem. You know, turning over the 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 lyrical <laughs> reins per se. You know to to him and um you know i i like playing bass i like singing backup vocals and you know i put 100 percent into it when i'm doing it and um yeah i've i enjoy it you know writing music instead of uh instead of lyrics but you know uh i could definitely see something coming down you know soon maybe uh where i might be involved in doing some writing uh kind of getting nice. back into it a little bit um, oh, but, right. you know, we had kind of spoken about this through uh, email or before this this show, but um, you know, I didn't want to. I don't want to do anything where I'm I'm rehashing, you know, things. I don't want to have you know, all right, writing cop song number five and you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, writing, yeah. You know, whatever. You know, it's 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 kind of counterproductive. I I don't want to waste my time and other people's time with you know things that that I've said said before um they'll have a lot of the same feelings if I can come up with a different way to say it or a new perspective to uh, approach it from then you know he might hear something from that you know uh, we'll see well see you definitely did that solo in God's Left Hand and I was listening to a bunch of God's Left Hand and just listening to the music and the writing in it. What was that process like? Because it is on such a different level than the previous stuff. What was that um process like going into the solo and God's left hand type of stuff as far as writing style? Well, you know, the during this whole time, um, from, you know, listening to punk rock and being in the punk scene, you know, while that was all happening, I was also listening to other stuff, um, listening to, uh, you know, like David Bowie and uh, Jim Carroll Band, Lou Reed, Velvet Underground, Tom right. Waits, you know, Patti Smith, stuff like that. And um, and I, I kind of, with the solo stuff and with, the, uh, with God's Left Hand, I was kind of showing that side of my influences more, I think. And... Um, so most of that um, God's Left Hand stuff was songs that I had written originally as as just me with an acoustic guitar, and I wanted you know after after doing that a few times I really I don't enjoy playing by myself that much. 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, after kind of putting the whole band thing behind me because I didn't want to deal with being a band, I found out after a couple of years that uh, I really want to be in a band. So uh, yeah. I gathered a couple couple of friends together and, you know, um, showed them all the songs. They added some things to it. Um, and, you know, that's how that came about. We played for a couple of years, uh, never really caught on <laughs> here in, in Connecticut. Um, you know, we, I don't know. I just, I think that people were coming who came to see it were expecting something more like the pissed and <laughs> it was not that at all. And, uh, you know, our, our drummer ends up moving out of the country and, you know, that, that fell apart too. So, um, that's what ended up getting back into, back into playing in punk and hardcore bands. Okay. All right. Well, we've got a few minutes left as being one of the elders now. And me and Odell actually talked about this before we did the first comeback episode. Let's have a Miyagi moment here. Totally different world now. You're not pounding the kids today aren't pounding the pavement, stapling flyers on the telephone poles. You know, we've got social media. As one of the elders of punk now and music in general, what advice do you have for the band starting out today? What can they do to increase their chances of going out there and getting their music out there and spreading the word and doing what they want to do? I think it's just uh I think not much I mean, obviously, the way of promotion has changed, but I think if you just get out there, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Get out there and play mm-hmm. shows, you know, any shows, um, and be consistent. You know, don't, you know, it sounds corny to say, but just kind of, you know, be yourself and, you know, don't try to try to um, copy any other bands or any any kind of styles. Write what write what comes from your heart, and uh, you know, just. Uh, be real <laughs> and i think that if you do that and you're out there long enough then you know uh, they'll come to you you know you don't mm-hmm. you're not gonna have to really uh get out there and and really kill it with the with the promoting and everything i think that you know they say you know real recognizes real right <laughs> and that's it yeah that's it yeah I was just going to say, I know I've kind of been monopolizing Al here. Um, do you have anything else to ask him? we got a couple minutes left. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, you know, you were talking about promotion. I know, I noticed through social media you, you guys have really um, grasped that and used that as, quote, unquote, you know, uh, flying, you know, stapling things to the you know, pole or, you know, flying, tagging different places. It, it, I've noticed just looking at, um, like, your page and a few of your the, the bands that you play with, they really they you they really take advantage of social media and I think that's really good. I think a lot of uh, bands, you know, it's something that you know you look back on. You're like, man, if we had something like this, you know, just ten years ago, oh, not yeah. even twenty years ago, it, it would be such a great help. And it looks like you guys really have uh, embraced embraced that embraced that and, and 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 are using that to your advantage. Well, you know, we you know we respect the promoters who put on the shows for us, um, so we try to do our part, you know, and we don't ever do the uh, you know ticket selling thing. Uh, right. You know, we we get asked to be on a lot of shows, and then it's, <laughs> oh yeah, well you know how many tickets can you guys sell? Well, none, because that's your job, you know. That, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, you know, but we do whatever we can to try to promote the shows. You know, we 
you know, if, if somebody's going to ask us to play at their club or, you know, other bands are going to put us on for shows, then, you know, the least we can do is try to get the word out there. And, you know, if everybody did that, then, you know, shows would be a lot more successful. Right. Nice. All righty, Al, I want to thank you so much for coming in. Like I said, this is for two years. I was going on your page. I couldn't add you. I had no way of reaching you. Finally, I was like, holy shit, I can get a hold of Al now. I've got to bring the show back and start <laughs> rocking and rolling. We've got so much on our plate, too. So I definitely want to thank you for coming in real quick. Yeah, thank you tell so everybody much, where they can find you, what you've got, upcoming projects, where you're playing, what you got going on. Oh, okay. Um, well, the easiest way to find me is on Facebook, um, even even if Nick couldn't find us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, uh, just, if you search under Alpest, I'll pop up. Um the pest is on there, although we're not really doing any more shows. But if you want to check out if you know if anything is coming up, uh, we're, we have a, we have a page on there. Uh, Facebook.com/slash/m13hardcore is uh, m13, and I think it's the Deacons NYC. Um, both bands are from based in Brooklyn, um, and uh, yeah, that's about it right now. Right on. I've got some um, Deacons on here, and I've got M13. What would you like to hear on the way out, Al? How do you oh, want to man, don't, don't put me in that spot. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to play Calling Out because I love anthem songs. I just, I'm just i a big Unity guy, and this is the kind of song that just makes me want to like grab my buddy next to me and sing along. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Once again, thank you, Al, and we'll be heading out with some Calling Out. Alrighty, guys, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Musical Osmosis tonight. We will be back in two weeks with Larry Dalmore from Peg Boy. 
have a great evening, guys.